Welcome to the Talking Writing Podcast. I'm John Vogel, TW's Art Director. In this episode, Managing Editor Neva Taliadin talks with author and podcaster Nikki Pappas. In September 2022, Nikki self-published her memoir, As Familiar as Family, about her and her husband Stephen's experience leaving Remedy Church in Waxahachie, Texas, after experiencing spiritual abuse. Nikki also hosts Broadening the Narrative, a podcast dedicated to exploring themes outside the white evangelicalism in which she grew up. Never connected with Nikki via social media, and a few days prior to recording, they outlined the discussion topics, a conversation which is occasionally referred to in the interview. During their discussion, they cover the background of the book, the process of its creation, and self-publishing in general. Before uh, talking about the premise of the book, um, maybe we should talk about like what prompted you to write, go on this writing journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. So I wrote maybe about eight years ago, seven years ago, the first iterations of what would become this book. I just didn't know that's what it would become. It's a very different book than it was at that time. And from there... I put it away and didn't really touch it after someone else read it. And I thought she could be like a writing mentor to me. And here's this thing I've written that has this really vulnerable stuff about childhood trauma. And then we never talked about it. And so then there was that feeling of, oh, maybe it's not good enough. Or maybe I don't have a story to tell. And letting someone else's response or lack of response dictate whether or not I kept going with it. And I also had a lot of babies back to back to back, had three kids very fast. (laughs) And so that was another sort of reason to put it on the back burner. And there was also this aspect of being a wife and a mom was all I was supposed to really do. And I wasn't supposed to pursue anything for myself. So it became easy to neglect the practice of writing. Well, fast forward to being spiritually abused by this pastor at the church that you were mentioning that I was intimately connected to and leaving that church. And as I did that, the journey I went on to realize how connected my childhood was and the trauma from there with the spiritual abuse and trauma and realizing that a lot of people are experiencing these things or have experienced them and that I do have a story to tell and it is worth telling And I started therapy and my therapist was like, keep writing. It's unlocking something for you and helping you heal something. So I wrote and I entered my book into writing competitions. But at that time, it was this third person fictionalized narrative story, pretending like it all happened to someone else. And I think I needed that version of the story to help me have some distance as I approached what was still pretty raw for me because January 2019 was when we left the church, and then in 2020 was when I started entering my writing into competitions. And from there, in 2021, I started working on, let's get this done. Let's actually write a memoir out of it, you know, because the third-person fictionalized narrative wasn't going anywhere. (laughs) And so I revisited 
It, it was called Restored Dignity at the time. So it was even a different book at that point and a little bit of a different focus. So fast forward to February 2022, there were beta readers reading that. And that's where I got feedback that Restored Dignity wasn't really resonating with as many people. But one of my beta readers, she liked the phrase that I used that the pastor's emotional detachment was as familiar as family to me. And she's like, I like that phrase. And she wasn't saying you should change the title to that. But when she pointed out liking that phrase, I realized, well, that's the connection, right? The familiarity of these relationships. You know, when we left that church January 2019, January 2020, a year later, I wrote a blog post about this is why we aren't in church anymore because we had stepped away from church completely after some things happened at the next, next church that we went to. And so that was that step. And then a year after that, I did a podcast episode on my podcast, Broadening the Narrative, about the spiritual abuse I experienced. So then I was realizing that kind of every January, I was marking my departure from that church in some way, telling my story, reclaiming a part of my voice and my experiences for myself. And that was why I decided to turn it into memoir was to say, this is my story. This is what has happened and how I personally have been impacted by that and how I hope to empower other people to leave toxic things in their own lives, right? I'm writing for myself first and foremost. I'm the primary beneficiary of that, but I do hope that it can help other people as they see me step into my voice and my story and taking back control of the narrative that was spun, that was full of half-truths or lies and all those things to say, no, here's what I'm doing to reclaim that. And so it was important to me personally and of course, I changed names. I changed things that would identify certain people or the, the name of the church and things like that because I didn't want people getting bogged down in the who did Details. what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, here's, here's what's more important is how did I relate to what happened and how did I process what happened and heal from what happened? Mm-hmm. I was going to say that's the tricky thing about nonfiction, you know, especially about memoir. Because the experience is real, but you also have to be mindful of being truthful about details. But in your case, at the same time, um, you know, there is a legal quandary. You know, let's face it, there's both a legal quandary and also like um, the what you said, like you don't want them to get distracted from what you're actually trying to say, which is what is important for you the recovery and the healing, right? So um, while, it, while you were um, in the writing process, how did you manage to not let these things distract from the story that you were going to tell? Or was it difficult when you were navigating these details? In some ways, I would say that just trying to figure out what should stay, <laughs> what should go, and... There's one version I wrote of it that came across more as like this bitter revenge novel, right? Like it had this feel to it of, and I think I needed to write that for myself. I needed to get those things out of me, name them and all of those things, but then realizing, okay, this isn't what people need to read though. (laughs) You know, I can acknowledge that there was bitterness, there was anger and all of that. But when it comes to the next step for me, okay, let me revisit this. Let me rework this. 
and working with an editor who helped me figure out, you know, there were some things that she was like, I'm not telling you have to cut this story about this particular person, but I would recommend cutting it because I don't want you getting backlash about something as, un, you know, it's like inconsequential to the story and you don't have to have that here to still make your point, right? That doesn't mean they have to disappear forever. You can use them in a future book or a blog post or that kind of thing, which I think is really good for a writer to hear yeah. because we don't like, like my words are just so precious to me. And so to be able to say, no, this, this thing that mattered to me that I said and that needed to be said at this time, maybe it doesn't need to be released at this time, but I can save it and, and maybe use it at a different time. That's why it's very important to, you know, let people know that writing and publishing, if you want to publish and share it with as much people as you can, it's not a solitary act, mm -hmm. right? Like you need um, editors, you need your beta readers, as you mm -hmm. mentioned, right? And all of that feedback solidified even your resolve to actually get this done, right? So, uh, you know, when, when people, a lot of people, when they write, they put a lot of like, <laughs> like too much mysticism or like, you know, all, all these like things that they associate with writing. Oh, it's, it's uh, this magical thing that just comes to you as a gift and then it flows. But it's really a lot of hard work. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. And now that's one thing that I'm very interested in knowing about. How did you navigate um, making this for yourself, like writing this for yourself for, first and foremost, but also giving back and making sure that it's something that readers would, re that would resonate to readers. Yeah, so I think a big part of it was that beta reader feedback. And I'll say something that different people shared with me ahead of time is that your beta readers are giving you feedback, but you couldn't possibly incorporate all the feedback. There's going to be contradictory feedback and all those things. But looking at the full scope of what everyone said and saying, okay, well, a lot of people want to know more about this aspect of my journey. So let me sit with, do I want to write about that aspect of my journey? Mm -hmm. Right. And so there were a lot of people, you know, the beta reader version last year didn't have too much about my childhood trauma and a few people who I trust, who I have a relationship with, who I know it was coming from, not a voyeuristic, I want to consume your trauma and pain, but more from a, I think this could help readers understand more about your background and why you were so drawn to this type of relationship in church, that kind of thing, right? So taking into account what a majority of people were saying, or if there was something that came up in the feedback from other people, then that helped guide me towards, I could take this out or, and I can add more here. And I'll share too, that the way I had it structured, that was what I had asked for feedback on was the pacing, the flow and the structure. And so having specific asks of the beta readers, you know, and some guidance there and to say, this isn't an editing you know, there will be typos. <laughs> Those That edit will come later. Right now, I just need to figure out how this is going to fit together and flow. And there were people who were like, it was confusing. 
it was a lot of back and forth that I had done. And they were like, it, it was too much. You know, it needs to follow more of a chronological timeline. So that was one set of people. There was one set of people who were like, I loved the back and forth. And it was so <laughs> well done. And you just weave them so well together. And then there were people who were like, oh, I want more of that back and forth. So again, there's three different sets of feedback. <laughs> But the majority of people wanted more chronological sequencing. So I compromised. And with the help of one of the beta readers, she went through and printed what I had sent and helped figure out which sections things could be moved to because it's uh, six sections. And then I restructured a lot of it. But I left a flashback in sections two, three, four, and five, mm-hmm. so that it could still preserve some of that cyclical storytelling or something that revisits where, That's oh, right. this could have gone in section one in my childhood, but I'm going to put it here because it goes with this, it, it goes with the overarching theme of this section. And so then I was able to still stay true in a way to the grander vision that I had of being able to weave that past and present or childhood with adulthood and how those connect to each other. Next, we'll hear an excerpt from chapter 25 of As Familiar as Family by Nikki Pappas, followed by more of our interview. The excerpt begins at Entrenched Church, the second church that Nikki and her husband joined after Remedy. In the book, Nikki has used the real name for Remedy, but made up the name Entrenched to protect herself from litigation. In the end, I didn't truly matter to Jake or many of the people at Entrenched Church. If I did matter, there was something else that mattered more. Come to think of it, in the beginning, I didn't even matter to one of the people who should have cared about me. I was born as the first child of my mother's trembling 18-year-old womb. It was just us against the world in that sterile room. Nurses bustled about, checking vitals. Machines beeped and whirred incessantly. The essence of radical self-sufficiency was thick in the air. My lungs absorbed the fortitude of my single teenage mother. Tenacity mixed with uncertainty as she thought about how to step into her new role. As soon as she was able, her hands were shaking as she dialed my biological father's phone number. It's a girl, she broadcasted. Go to hell, he replied, before slamming the phone onto the receiver. The harsh dial tone buzzed in her ear. For years, she shielded me from the bitter truth that my own father wanted nothing to do with me, with us. But her sadness was palpable. Tears dripped down her nose and splattered my newborn skin nestled against her chest. What did it do to me for some of the first words spoken about my existence to be a declaration of condemnation, to lose half of my family tree fresh from the womb? Did this set me up for an ever-elusive search for connection with people who were emotionally unavailable or otherwise abusive? I also came from a religious background, but um, it was a more, uh, it was a less insular religious background. And so I was able to freely explore other things and decide for myself as I grew up, you know, even though my parents are not the same. But your experience is different. It was a community that was all or nothing. Looking back at your own family, you know, and I think part of it is in this book, what do you think about your, the way you were raised and your background made you 
um, gravitate towards these kinds of leaders or mm-hmm. finding th- this kind of belonging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talked, again, to reference our conversation last week, the study done with the mice where some are raised in this chaotic environment and some are raised in this calm, serene environment. And the ones raised in the chaotic environment going back to the trauma environment rather than going when having the opportunity instead of going to the calm, calm place, right? And it's because of, you know... (laughs) Disclaimer, I am not a brain scientist, but (laughs) from my understanding, the way that trauma wires and shapes our brains, right? And the way that we as humans, as animals, the way that comfort uh, coming from what is familiar, right? Even if what's familiar isn't safe, right? And so that is a part of the journey is to say that just because this feels familiar doesn't mean that it's safe or where I should be and learning to trust myself in that process. So, so much of my misbeliefs are rooted in my childhood, the misbelief that I am not autonomous, right? And so I write in my book, you know, just a content warning here for a reference to abuse, sexual abuse. So I write in my book about being sexually abused and the way that my body wasn't my own and how I didn't have the word no to use. And when a child is given those that or is abused in those ways and isn't given the empowering language of no and all those things, right? What that does for me, it set me up and groomed me for a belief system at the church where I would hear things as a 19 year old when I started at this church hearing things like from a Bible verse pulled out of context, like you are not your own. And so if I'm told I'm not my own and I already don't believe that I belong to myself, right? Then that's not the message I need to hear, right? I need to be empowered. I need to have safe relationships to practice boundaries in all those things, right? But the abuse of my childhood and the way that this is a new aspect that I'm exploring, diving more into in a current book that I'm working on that beta readers are going to be reading this February is really zooming in more on what I was taught about manhood and womanhood, which is this false binary. Um, I acknowledge that there are just vast people who exist outside of that binary, but that is what I was given was, you know, I was taught this cisgender heterosexual man, cisgender heterosexual woman, very binary, very simplistic and narrow view. And the things that I was taught about that, about biblical, quote unquote, biblical manhood and womanhood, right? Before I was even taught those things at the church, I picked up beliefs about that in my childhood, apart from the religion, apart from the theology. And so just examining the ways that the kind of, quote, leader and, quote, head of household that my dad was, very similar, you know, not right away, You know, I I write in the book about how there was this veneer over the top of it that kind of masked the ways that this pastor was so similar to my dad. Mm -hmm. You know, he wasn't outrightly abusing me uh, or being violent around me or calling me names, right? The things that my dad did, this pastor wasn't doing those things. 
But this pastor still upheld a gender hierarchy where he was the head of the church, right? And I, not just as a member of the church, but as a woman, have less power and less voice in the church. So that's just a very simplistic, (laughs) quick way of trying to share how the two experiences were so similar. When you're writing a memoir, especially um, about abuse and healing from that, um, there there's a lot of um, internal doubts, like in an internal voice, that sort of reflects how society also kind of looks at um, stories like this that come from women, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, who did you have a support system aside from your therapist? I know that. Um, but did you have a support system that validated you and helped you along with the process as you were writing your story? Yeah, well, so I'll quickly hit on just the gaslighting that takes place. And I think I had said something before about not trusting myself. So yeah, like all of that goes into staying in an abusive relationship, institution, uh, workplace, right? Like it, it isn't, like you said, just the church. And so those things were at play. And I had a friend who left the church that we'd met at. She left about a year before I did. And watching her leave, like, I was able to witness someone else getting out of it. And this was before I even, at that point, when she left, I still thought, (laughs) I can be the change I want to see. I can change the the system from the inside out, the bottom (laughs) up, right? And I'm not saying that never happens. I can't speak to that. I'll just say I've never witnessed it happening around me personally. But I think there is this hopefulness in me that thought like, well, I can just let this person know. And, and if I can have this conversation with this pastor, then da, 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 da. Then I think there's also a pride in that as well. This hopefulness, but also this pride that like I have some answer or some magical thing that yeah. I'm going to say You'll that get changes this change. person's <laughs> mind. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, I don't have that. And so anyway, so this friend of mine, when she left and I write about her in the book and her name in the book is Aubrey. And so when this friend of mine left and then I watched her begin to flourish at a different church and in this other environment. And I was like, oh my goodness, all along, I've been thinking I have to stay here. And what if I didn't stay here? And I want to shout out this other podcast, the Existential Podcast with Corey Leak. I was listening to an episode and Dan Matlock and Kelly Matlock were sharing their stories. And Dan talked about how the church using belonging as a weapon. And again, that can extrapolate out to other institutions, right? And other places where we want to belong and where we think we found belonging. That if you cross this line, you no longer belong. So in the church, that's this word excommunication, right? And you will be excluded from the fellowship with us. And so that is a powerful motivator to get someone to stay. It's super manipulative as well, right? Like (laughs) it was a powerful motivator and I did not realize how much I was being manipulated into staying until I saw this friend, Aubrey. I watched her and her family just blossom and grow outside of 
this church that we had met at, and I had a follow-up conversation with the pastor, and there was further spiritual abuse and lack of accountability and all those things. So I knew, like, I can't stay here. So for a time, like I mentioned, we went to a a different church after that. We went to the church that my friend Aubrey and her family were going to, and there was one Sunday where a whole row of us there was a whole row who had met at that one church and we'd all left that church and we took up this really long row. And yeah. And so there was a camaraderie. There was this mm-hmm. trauma bonding in a way yeah. of we kind of all experienced not exactly the same thing, but at the root of it, there was a lack of care and we didn't feel like we mattered and all of those things. And so we, bonded together. And then I stepped away from church for a a while, but we kind of started hosting people in our home on Sunday mornings who just wanted somewhere to be where they could show up fully as themselves. And so that offered a space for me to just have some community when I thought I would have none, right? Like I thought if I leave this, I have no one. And so being able to realize, oh, that's not true. I do have a community here. And then when it came to my writing, you know, I started my Instagram account called Broadening the Narrative. And I started that July 4th, 2019. And so I was posting podcast recommendations, book recommendations, this article, all those things. And it brought this community. And then I started a podcast. And then the podcast led me to this writer and this relationship. And then I joined this writing group and all of those things and was able to be part of book clubs and all these things with people that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to meet. I probably wouldn't have even thought that I should be spending time with certain people and they provided that support I needed. And now back to our interview with Nikki Pappas, author of As Familiar as Family. I want to shout out Megan Wooding, who is also a self-published author who I connected with through Instagram and Megan and I hopped on a call uh, I don't know it was sometime in 2021 and I asked her all things like about publishing why did you choose to self-publish what are the differences all those things and something that came up for her that stuck out to me was her saying I want to have more creative control over what I'm releasing into the world. And I want it to, I want to ensure that it aligns with who I am right now. Right. And so when it came time to self-publish, I reached out to her again. Turns out she had done a Kickstarter. And so she's the one who became then my Kickstarter mentor. She's like a writing mentor, Kickstarter mentor, helping me figure all of those things out. And with her help, I was able to navigate it and she would share it with her platform. And we did some, you know, an Instagram live together on her account. And she was just, and is such an amazing encouragement on that journey. And it's a very vulnerable thing to ask for money, (laughs) right? And so it was an emotional experience. There was a lot of angst around, will I get the full funding? Because with Kickstarter, it's all or nothing. If you don't raise the full amount, you don't get any of it. And so, you know, my partner had told me, he said, don't, don't worry about it. If that last day, if there's a 
more to have to come in, we will cover it. Like it'll be fine. It'll all work out. And so that final day we did have to close the gap. And there was that, uh, this immense gratitude mixed with this feeling like a failure. And I talked about it with my editor and she was like, but if you had lowered it and met the goal, then you would have been Oh, maybe I should have, maybe I should have done it higher, you know? And so she was just like, look at it as the, I think it was like 50 something people who did contribute. They believe in this, you know? Yeah. I know. I'm like, I'm a brand, like, I don't have a platform of a name recognition. Me being the person that I am, not having thousands or millions of followers if someone sends me a message, I'm going to see it and I'm going to be able to respond to it. I have the capacity for that. I have the time, I have the energy, I'm able to hold space for so many people who have reached out to me across the globe who are like, I read your book. It resonated so much with me because I experienced something similar. And then I'm able to say, hey, do you want to hop on a Zoom call and share your story with me? Again, like that wouldn't have happened without this book and this book wouldn't have happened without the Kickstarter, right? And all of those things in the community around me. So it is, I obviously have no other experience to compare it to, but I'm very grateful for the experience that I've had. Yeah, well, you, just you sharing about this experience is huge because it's not talked about enough. It's always like, oh, self-publishing, you know, you pay for everything or whatever. Like there's not, enough conversations around the different iterations of how self-publishing comes about. And as much as it's a vulnerable process, as vulnerable as submitting it for book proposals to publishers, it's also an amazing thing to to realize that you can actually do this. And this wasn't mm-hmm. possible like 15 years ago, as as early as, you know, it's it not so long ago, this wasn't possible. And it feels like coming full circle for you. Like, you know, you had you had a story to tell and then you had this uh, platform that didn't have to be thousands and millions of followers. And you were able to self-publish this book that really gives value to you as well. The measure of success for you is different. Right. right and and for you to be able to engage with your readers in a more meaningful way is more important for you mm-hmm. and in fact is encouraged has encouraged you to write a second book right yeah. um but before we go to your <laughs> to your second book now that you've finished this book um you know it's easy for readers to encapsulate authors in their book like oh mm-hmm. this is nikki you know, this is just her. And yet you say that now, now that the book is behind you, you don't necessarily think that way. You don't, you've obviously you're a human being, you grow, <laughs> you develop. So explain more of that, that that's such an interesting part of the process, the after the book. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because I heard other authors say the same thing and somehow I thought I was immune to that, right? Like in a way, I thought, well, I feel really good about everything I've said. I don't think that I'm going to want to have like to change anything. Like I said, it came out in September. We are now at the end of January. So real, like a part of me 
acknowledges, yes, I'm human. I should be constantly evolving, shifting, expanding, all of those things. But somehow still thought, but my book, like, you know, it, I've said the things that I wanted to say the way I wanted to say them and don't think that they will change. Like, I think I was open enough with how I said it. And now I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Sweet Nikki of September, <laughs> 2022, how much you still have to learn and grow and change in. And so a part of that is just, yeah, that I would just say things differently or word things differently. But I also want to honor who I was at the time that I wrote it, right? And so there is just this snapshot within my book of who I was at that time and and what I thought. And, you know, and it's nothing at this point, it's not anything where I'm like, oh, that's way off base for me, but just I wish I had left that a little more open-ended and not so final on certain points. You know, even when it comes to one of the people who read my book, she was saying how she... She was like, I think you're still a Christian from the way that your book ended. And like, I'm not anymore. And I was like, you know what? I'm not sure if I am. I'm not sure. (laughs) You know, I was like, yeah, the way I wrote it in September 2022, I was just a more open, you know, more expansive in how I was understanding that. And then I met people who are atheists and people who are agnostic and people are, you know, and, and that's who I've had more conversations with since my book came out. Yeah, I was on a podcast recently, The Graceful Atheist, I think in September, maybe. And so talking to Arlene, one of the hosts over there at The Graceful Atheist podcast, that led to me getting into their Facebook group and reading things from, again, just people who understand the world differently or interacting with things differently. And so, yeah, I just, like I said, I would have just reworded some things or just left things more open-ended but at the same time it's like well that's who I was at that point I don't want to erase that right and so after I finished the writing process it was so exhausting to self-publish so exhausting to launch a book to constantly be posting about a book to be trying to get people to buy a book you know and you're just like will I write again? (laughs) Like, (laughs) do I want to tackle another book project? Because that was exhausting. And so I decided that in 2019, I had written all this poetry because that was really when I started to write more things for myself was 2019 after leaving that church. And so I revisited some poetry I'd written in 2019. And it's interesting how even in 2019, I understood and have put an asterisk at the title of subject to change as I do. But again, I was rereading it and I was like, oh wow, a lot changes in just a little bit of time. And so I was able to revisit this poetry and get some of that joy back into the writing and some of the just feeling light interacting with it instead of so like bogged down and I didn't, I didn't do a beta reader team. I didn't do a huge launch. I just soft launched it as an ebook into the world. And, you know, it's called Reflections from a Former Evangelical Poems, reminiscent of my 2019 worldview, right? Because that was what informed those poems. But I was able to put some of 2022 Nikki into those. And it would be interesting to even a year from now, read those again and be like, what would I say differently? And so with all of that, yeah, it, it's just interesting to, to 
sit with the ways that, and to give myself that permission to change yeah. and grow. Tasha Hunter, who wrote When We Speak, I mean, sorry, she's the uh, podcast host of When We Speak. She wrote the book, What Children Remember. And when she gives advice to self-published authors or to authors who want to self-publish, because she is a self-published author as well, she says, write for yourself first, not what you think other people want to hear. I think a lot of times those people who do have the big book deals can feel more of that pressure of telling the story that their reading base wants to hear or staying in a certain, even if they start to change their minds, the risk of losing the people who have them still in that box. You'll be asked to write about the same things Mm -hmm. because that's what's sold or, you know, in talking writing, we have this idea of the creative lifer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, had things been different, um, you know, would you still write? Um, what does writing mean to you? Like, how would you define being a creative lifer? Yeah, I think it goes back to what my therapist said, that it's unlocking something for me. Because I, I always have written, right, journals, diaries, keeping those sort of records of what's going on in my life and how I'm processing things. And so, yeah, I think that especially when it comes to being able to heal my story, the way that I can talk about it and I was talking about it, but it's so much different to slow down and write about it and then to reread what I've just written and to then revisit that later and be like, what would I add here? What depth, what nuance has come to light now that wasn't there three years ago. And so, yeah, to me, it's this way of being able to, if I don't write, then there's so much bottled up inside of me, I have to write. And it's not all trauma. It's not all pain. It's not all, you know, there's good things to write about too. Like last year, throughout 2022, my partner didn't know it, but I kept a journal to give to him for Christmas. And just being able to write this funny thing that the kids did today or uh, encapsulating this vacation we took, right? That we, our very first family vacation with three small children last summer and being able to write about that so that he can reread it and that kind of thing. And so just knowing that, yeah, I'd, I have always been a writer and wanted to write. And for a time that writing became very narrow and focused on just the being a wife and being a mom uh, and now tapping back into the writing for myself, writing for creative purposes or writing for the people I love, uh, whether that's, you know, my immediate circle and my friends and family or a broader circle. I wanted to quickly shout out that with my book, Ask Familiar's Family, 100% of the proceeds are going to organizations that are doing good work that aligns with the healing work that I want to see in the world. And so one of those is Into Account, which works with people coming out of Christian contexts who have been abused in those spaces. And I'm looking into other organizations as well because I want to give back. I want to, just as people gave to help me bring the book into the world, I want to give back. And so if anyone who has listened to this is interested, they can know that the proceeds from that are going to organizations that are helping people heal and that 
As Removed Family is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Bookshop, but it's also on my website. And if your listeners want to use the code free gift, they can get 20% off their order for a signed copy. Thank you for listening to the Talking Writing Podcast. We're an independent literary site and nonprofit organization based in the Boston area, but with contributors from around the world. Since our founding in 2010, we've relied on donations to keep publishing and podcasting. To donate to TW, you can use the donate button on the rss.com page of this podcast or visit talkingwriting.com slash donate. And of course, feel free to drop us a line at editor at talkingwriting.com.